Welcome to An Economist Goes to College, a podcast about the economics of picking and paying for college. I'm your host, Beth Akers, economist and senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. I'm excited to have Michael Itzkowitz on the show today. Michael is the founder and president of the HEA Group and a senior fellow at Third Way, a national think tank that champions modern center-left ideas. He was also the director of the College Scorecard under the Obama administration for the U.S. Department of Education. In this episode, we're going to discuss the College Scorecard, which is a tool for publishing college outcomes data, and the massive leaps forward we've seen in transparency in higher education in the past decade. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Okay, Michael, I'm a million years old, and so that means when I shopped for college, things were very different. I remember sitting in the back of a Barnes & Noble flipping through the pages of this index of colleges. The pages were you know, super thin, kind of like a, an old telephone book, if people even remember what those are anymore. Things have changed. What's changed? Did you bookmark the pages and pull them out one by one? No way, because I, I was too cheap to buy the book. So <laughs> I would just go to the bookstore, write down my notes on where I wanted to apply, then go home. Well, I would say a lot has changed specifically over the past decade. As you probably know, you know, year after year, there are surveys to where students are asked why is the number one reason why you want to attend college. Mm -hmm. And year after year, it's been further myself economically and secure a financially secure future. So over the past decade or so, there's just been this trove of data that the U.S. Department of Education has been making available on what's the percentage of students who actually graduate from an institution, what's the average cost that students pay out of pocket, what's the kind of loan debt that they're typically taking out to earn a degree. And just recently, over the past six years or so, we now actually have earnings data. So specifically, Mm -hmm. how much do students make after they attend a certain institution and or even college program? Mm-hmm. So while this book, you know, was available to you, you know, now there's websites that are easily understandable to the typical student and or college counselor or parent mm-hmm. to where they can just go on U.S. Department of Education website and find all this information in one place. But a big difference is that when I looked at those books, it was saying things like this campus is really ugly or it has like a great party scene or this is how many students said they were satisfied with classes. It wasn't the kind of data that you're talking about, right? So this is a huge shift. So, yeah, I mean, people think about college in terms of typically, oftentimes it's what's closest to me or where did my brother go or where did my cousin go? So you often look at these books, you know, if you're looking at out-of-state colleges and thinking about, okay, you know, all these colleges are good usually kind of if you're looking at a state or, or at least a large percentage of them are. So kind of what's the right fit? And I think, you know, from a federal perspective, what's changed is, you know, rather than it just being a right fit, I think what we're seeing is there's lots of right fits and Mm -hmm. some right fits are much, much more. They could be a better fit in terms of how you actually interact on the campus or the buildings, Mm -hmm. but also the outcomes that they produce for their students. Right. So what we're seeing, you know, with this new data is that there are certain places that cost similar amounts, but have wildly different outcomes depending on where you might go or or end up in college altogether. Right. So years ago, the conversation was about fit. It's like going and walk around the campus. How do you feel? Does it seem like it's a place you'd be happy? And the conversation today, really facilitated by these policy changes, is about what are you going to be able to earn after you graduate? Are you going to be able to afford to pay back their loans? Can you walk us through what were the policy changes that got us to where we are today? 
And I happen to know you played an important role in some of that. So I'd like to hear about your experience in that as well. Yeah. So uh, I worked in the Obama administration from 2010 to 2016. And there was a lot of exciting stuff happening at that time in terms of how do we hold colleges accountable for the outcomes of students? And one of the main reasons why the federal government would be involved in that at all is that there's about $100 billion that flow to students that go to institutions every single year in terms of federal financial aid, whether that be loans or, or grants, Pell Grant being the most prominent grant. So with $100 million of taxpayer money on the line, you know, there was this thought of, we need to make sure that students are getting a good return on investment, and so are taxpayers. Seems reasonable. So in 2011, you know, they started this process under a very limited piece of statute called the Gainful Employment Rule. Mm -hmm. And this covered not all programs, but only a specific kind of program. And it was really targeted towards career-oriented programs. So when you think of that, you know, a lot of for-profits fall under that bucket and they they all fall under this uh, specific to this this piece of statute called gainful employment, but also certificate programs at public and private nonprofit institutions. So the government started a regulation to where they said, okay, let's look at the outcomes. Let's look at how much debt students are taking out versus how much earning they're making and at least make sure that they're making enough to reasonably pay down their debt. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the first efforts, which you know, evolved over time and was eventually finalized in 2014. But that was really the spark in Mm. terms of uh, how do we hold these these college programs accountable and make sure that taxpayer dollars are being used efficiently and effectively, but also ensuring good outcomes for students. Got it. Okay. What came next? So while that was in the process of being developed, it's kind of unheard of, but the president actually, you know, announced something in 2013 as day of the union called the college scorecard. And the way that he presented this was he wanted to ensure that students were getting the best bang for their educational buck. So, you know, essentially the thought process was we want to make all of this information available. That was in February 2013. And that, you know, the next day, the department put together this, it's called a skinny scorecard Mm -hmm. that specifically was like four pieces of data on each institution across the United States. But it was kind of groundbreaking at the time because it was more consumer friendly and just sort of a here's what you need to know as a starting point. Mm -hmm. So they had graduation rates. They had, you know, how much debt do students take out, how many students are defaulting on their loans. And they had this one ominous box missing that said employment to come later. That was in 2013. And And let me pause you, Michael, because. Listeners who don't breathe education policy day in and day out might not think that it's just like unbelievably exciting to have the president talk about real higher ed policy in the State of the Union. But education nerds like you and me were sort of over the moon, like, hey, we're talking about some real stuff here. And this is a major, major innovation. And, you know, we were in the process of coming out of a recession and thinking about creating opportunities to fill the jobs of tomorrow and do that as effectively and efficiently as possible. And we know that you know money plays a large role in ensuring good outcomes, but we also know that there's places that receive billions upon billions of dollars every single year, but they might graduate less than one out of every four students. Right. Or they might lead to earnings that, you know, they're not they're not actually preparing students to enter the job market. They're actually mm-hmm. leaving them underprepared. But we keep throwing money at these places. So I think that was part of the president's process in trying to create this information void 
part of it was so that students can vote with their feet. They would have this information, but that actually later evolved into something that would directly tie a college's ability to collect federal student aid if they performed below a certain level. Michael, did you just say vote with your feet? That doesn't sound like something someone from a Democratic administration would be saying. Are you are you sure that was the Obama administration you were working in? It is. It is. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're big advocates of transparency. And I think that there was a thought process that it can't be a substitute for strong regulation and accountability, right. but right. it's a strong it's a necessary supplement. So, you know, in terms of consumer choice and students having access to this information, that's one thing. But when you start publishing actual outcomes on websites, certain colleges start to look at them and think about their processes just a little bit more if their graduation rate says, oh, we only graduate 25% of students or, oh, most of our students are earning less than the average high school graduate. And now this information is all publicly available Mm -hmm. and people are going to pick on me. And marketing is going to go down. And guess what? Students might vote with their feet and funnel into better institutions that offer them better outcomes. You know, I love that part. And when the scorecard was first announced, I was so excited that we were moving in that direction. And I'm more conservative minded on these issues than I think you are. But it was it was nice that there was this moment in time when we all kind of agreed that more transparency helps people make better decisions for themselves. And can push institutions to do to do better. But it's something I also remember from that time was that as the discussion was starting about the college scorecard data being published, we saw a slew of op-eds from elite college presidents kind of complaining and saying, wait a minute, once you start publishing our earnings data, you're going to forget that what we do is unicorns and rainbows and it can't be measured in dollars and cents. Or at least that was my interpretation of their messaging. So what was your position or the administration's position in response to that? I mean, I've never been to a college campus that has unicorns and rainbows. But like if I if there was one, you know, I'd be super attracted to that. I might not even care about the outcomes. (laughs) But like, yeah, I mean, college presidents are sort of on edge, not knowing what kind of outcomes are going to be published. I actually was tweeting something silly today because there's something about colleges like misreporting data and stuff like that. And we get questions all the time, like, how did you get this graduation rate? Or like, dude, you were, it came from you. Like, you're the one who gave us that information. Yeah. So it was kind of a, a good turning point. Number one, to change the discussion on how well are colleges serving their students and to have some data to back it up. But also in terms of accountability, for college presidents around the nation, because these numbers are being looked at. And while not everyone is a a fan of college rankings by any means, Mm -hmm. a lot of this information started to get funneled into certain college rankings, which college presidents oftentimes look to, to say how great we are or how many you or live and die by, right? (laughs) Possibly. But how many spots did you move up this year? So, you know, there, there is a lot more on the line and You know, when we have more information on student outcomes, it sort of is not just on this one website, but also, you know, we we encourage developers and even Google has information on their website on college outcomes that when you type in Mm -hmm. University of Florida or Florida State University, you can see some outcomes from the college scorecard pop up. So it's like this whole new, all these developers are using this information to inform their own college search tools all around the country. And it's just kind of spread like wildfire since really being released, you know, only like half a decade ago. 
It's actually, it's amazing, really. And it, it puts so much power in the hands of the students to protect themselves from getting into an institution that's not going to serve them well. But how about the next step? So I know that with gainful employment, which was, you know, you talked about kind of the first step of the direction towards this transparency about college outcomes. The idea was you'd constrain access to federal aid if a college just wasn't performing well on these metrics. So now the next step was the college scorecard, which meant that every institution in the country had data on their earnings, graduation rate, all published in one place. But has it gone any further yet so that now colleges face consequences on a policy level from that data? So for a very brief amount of time, you know, the gainful employment rule was published and scheduled to take effect a couple of years later. Now, as administrations change, you know, priorities change. And the DeVos administration, um, who was under Donald Trump, came into town and they said, you know what, we don't really like regulation all that much. Um, mm-hmm. So let's just re-regulate this gainful employment rule and rescind it completely. So that went kaput as well mm-hmm. as did the data, which was program level data. So that means that you could look at, you know, an engineering degree or at a specific for-profit college or a certificate program and see how much students earn and how much debt they have mm-hmm. afterwards. But one thing, just to go back to your point, is this a Democratic administration or did I work for a Democratic administration <laughs> or a Republican administration? This is like one of the few policy initiatives that people on both sides, you know, seem to tout as something being really important. So while the DeVos administration did rescind the gainful employment rule, which was, if you don't do well enough, we're going to restrict federal money from you. They did start to produce even more data on these actual program level outcomes for all programs at all institutions. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge step forward that was started under the Obama administration, but they implemented it. And you have to give them credit for making all this information available. Right. And I'd argue too that it Another interpretation of that administration's action is not so much that they dislike regulation, but rather the differential treatment of career training programs versus more academic oriented programs. And have we gotten to a point where there is, can there ever be an umbrella set of regulations for all institutions based on these outcomes? So it's interesting you say that. So, and and I don't even know where the politics fall on this anymore because yes, you have, you know, people like myself who are seen as a little bit left-leaning and I happen to work for a certain administration who is putting out papers and saying, look, yeah, there's disproportionately bad outcomes in one sector over another, Mm -hmm. but you can also look at some programs at public institutions that serve a whole lot of students and they're serving them poorly. And right. they're receiving a bunch of money. And we're leaving students, often underserved students, even worse off by attending in the first place. Right. And so, some very elite institutions got caught up in gainful employment because of that, right? Most notably, you know, the, the Harvard <laughs> Theater program. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, it was like the Harvard Theater students ended up making like 36000 bucks a year a few years afterwards, but they had around $80,000 in debt. So they were making so little and they had so much debt that Harvard actually preemptively ended up mm-hmm. shutting down that program. So, right. I mean, right. that's another piece of this is having administrators see the data mm-hmm. and saying, okay, this isn't necessarily serving our students as well as we thought it would, but there's right. all these other programs that are serving them supremely well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how can we use this to sort of alter our operations internally yeah. to ensure that we remain the, the prestigious institution 
that we are or gain towards, you know, start taking baby steps towards that notoriety to ensure that students are getting good outcomes. Right. Right. And I think that's a good, a good outcome. And, you know, people, I think often feel like, well, that's a sad outcome, of course, because they closed the program and it is sad in a sense, but I also think there are other alternatives, you know, probably if they had wished to keep that program alive, they could have found philanthropic dollars to make it less expensive for students or, you know, to substitute for loans or things like that. So we're not necessarily pushing programs out of business that are not high yielding returns, or are we? What's what's the effect? I mean, so like a good way to look at this too, is folks are always like, well, what about like the social work programs? Like there are so many good social work schools around the nation that are providing a very specific and necessary purpose, but they're underpaid. Now, what we can see through this data is there are so many of these programs that are actually serving students really well. And, Mm. you know, there's ways to look at like minimum thresholds of economic success. And one key data point on the initial scorecard was what's the percentage of students who are at least earning more than someone with no college experience whatsoever? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of one piece of my research that I look at like really deeply. And I say that if they're if they're not at least earning as much as someone with a high school graduate with no college experience, Mm -hmm. then there's really no economic return on investment. There could be a societal value. Right. But we do see that there's so many other of the same programs at different institutions across the country that are just having wildly different outcomes. And some Mm -hmm. of them really, really good. And in terms of shutting down programs, I mean, there's been a lot of research following gainful employment that suggests that if if a program or an institution actually does shut down, Mm -hmm. which is very, very rare, we actually see students being funneled into programs with better outcomes. So that's been some work by Stephanie Cellini, who's another economist right. who, has, who has done that work. So I think that there's something that we shouldn't be as hesitant about and you know can be a little bit more forthcoming in terms of how we're best targeting these federal dollars. Mm-hmm. Got it. Right. So creative destruction, that sort of thing. So let's talk a little bit more practically about the college scorecard, which is like, as we've been talking about, this really powerful tool, putting the data into the hands of families and students happens through, you know, the publishing of the website that they can go to this government website, or they can go to rankings that use data from this website. What's the best way if you were advising a young person today or the family of a young person today for people to make use of this data? So, you know, there's different ways to filter the information. And I mean, as I mentioned, a lot of people are looking within a certain geographic region. So, you know, that's usually step one where folks are thinking, okay, you know, I want in-state tuition in Connecticut. So I'm going to look at all these Connecticut schools. Mm -hmm. And after you pull those up, you know, you can find a couple of favorites. And I really look at it as a starting point. So, you know, it's a really good way to weed out very risky or not so good options. So while you may think, you know, my cousin went to this school, which is oftentimes how a lot of people choose college, it might not be the very best option. And if you Mm -hmm. can see in front of your face that, oh, you know, students only make like $20,000 afterwards, but it costs $40,000 a year to attend it might serve as an initial red flag to say, Mm -hmm. let me keep looking. So that's sort of like my indication for students and college counselors, you know, who can help them and help guide them is really take this as a starting point. And then you can, you can have some better options and then start thinking about these things that you used to think about, you know, back in the day, like which one's the best fit for me. I think it's a great point that, you know, you start using this data as a way to weed out bad options because 
something that kind of rubs me the wrong way in this conversation is a lot of times I think people are opposed to this idea of taking a close look at earnings because they think we're encouraging them to go out and find the highest paying major and the highest paying institution they can get into and go there. And then they think about all the social consequences of that. But that's not the reality, is it? No. And I think that it's, it's like I said, you know, from a federal perspective, you know, I did some research on something called a price to earnings premium. And one of the key things that it looks at are these certain college programs that I say have no economic return on investment. And the way that I classify that is the majority of students who have graduated from a program, they've done everything right. They've paid their tuition. They've gotten their degree. But two years later, we have data that says, but they're still earning less than the average high school graduate in their state. And there are 16% of programs across the nation or 6,000 in my sample. And those are 350,000 graduates every single year who are doing everything right, but they're attending a college program that's actually leaving them financially insecure afterwards. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we have all this data now and we're saying I can write reports on it and that's cool. But like from a federal perspective, besides pointing out, you know, these things, we're, we're starting to see that in some places, we're not really doing as well as we thought we would. And we're mm-hmm. getting more indications of certain colleges that don't serve students well, but also specific types of programs that aren't right. necessarily leading towards something called gainful employment or at least minimal economic security. And mm-hmm. so, you know, from a consumer perspective, you can look at it and, and, and we can make that data available. And I do through spreadsheets, but who's looking at <laughs> my program level spreadsheets, right? It's also available on the college scorecard in different ways. But I think that, yeah, from a federal perspective, it's like, how do we protect this, you know, taxpayer dollars, but also students' livelihoods, yeah, especially yeah. with the, the big talk around all the debt issues that students are experiencing. And yeah, it's a really, really hot topic nowadays. You know, I think so much personal finance advice kind of just like drowns people sometimes. And, you know, if you've ever signed a mortgage, you know, you've got like all these papers to read and it's like, okay, yeah, you really should read everything. But it's like, no, I really don't. But this is a place where we're saying like, go out and look at the data, read the papers, because it's actually really matters. Like for the most part, you know, if you're at a reputable mortgage company, for instance, like the papers are all going to say the same thing and you're probably just fine. But there's some real like, potholes you could step in along the way when it comes to picking a college. And and those are showing up in the data. Yeah. And, you know, an economist that I know once told me this, it's like, you know, if Burger King is good or bad, because you go there a bunch of times, you know, and like your friends go there and they know if a Whopper is better than a Big Mac Mm -hmm. because you've had it a thousand times. Right. You only choose college once. And if that Big Mac is bad, you're going to know pretty quickly, right? You know, pretty quickly. Uh, <laughs> but they're like pretty consistent with that Big Mac, you know? And yeah, that was you who who told me that reference. I don't know if you remember doing that, but... <laughs> oh, per- very smart economist. Yes. Very smart. But it's one of the biggest... It's a one-time shop, you know? So right. it's like, it's not a $4 sandwich. It's oftentimes, you know, a $15,000, $20,000 year investment. Mm-hmm. And if you're making that investment you kind of want to have some sort of security that it's going Mm -hmm. to pay off for you or at the minimum that you're aware of the kind of risk that you're taking. Yeah, exactly. We just don't have that repeat transaction from which we can learn from and say like, yep, I learned that that restaurant was terrible or I hate that brand of yogurt and then move on and and pick something different the next time because, because of the dynamics of the cost of college today, this is kind of a, you got one or two shots to get it right. Exactly. 
Okay. So who is using the college scorecard data? Do we know? So, I mean, I think a lot of it are, you know, we can see through government like analytic data that there's mm-hmm. over a million people that visit the website every single year. Okay. A lot of those are unique users. Some of them are repeat users. Mm-hmm. And what I'll say to that is like, that's amazing. And mm-hmm. we have so many more outlets for this data, you know, where it's being put in all these college search websites and publications all over the place. So I think that that's one way to look at it as actual website usage. That being said, you know, there are around 15 million students who attend college every single year. Right. And what we have seen, you know, that there's kind of mixed research on how effective this is and who it's most effective for. Um, mm-hmm. So there was some research that came out of College Board that often showed that students from well-resourced high schools who use the college scorecard are more likely to make better choices than students from less resource high schools. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's a challenge for the government that I hope that they'll continue to work on is getting this more in the hands of people from underserved backgrounds and right. certain geographic locations. Yeah, I'm optimistic that the third-party ranking systems are going to do a better job at getting two individuals than the federal government is because you know, no offense, but federal government websites are not the best at conveying information and we're so used to this like Amazon way of life now where you pick up your phone and click a few things and and you've got something delivered to your doorstep. We can't make it too difficult for people to obtain and digest this data or we know that they just won't use yeah. it. And like, you know, bureaucracy is hard, you know, mm-hmm. so oh, yeah. and, and it's hard to get this information. It was a shortcoming. I'll take personal responsibility <laughs> you don't uh, have to. of mine and, and maybe the Obama administration is. It's just really difficult to get it into the hands of the students who you want to use it the most. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a theory of action to where you put this out. The president talks about in the State of the Union, like that's amazing. But then so you've got your of, attention and my attention so far. Just, now we a, just need to get those other 15 million students. Exactly. And <laughs> it's like, what's the theory of action? It's like you work with all these counseling groups mm-hmm. and you hope that it sort of funnels down from these large associations down to the actual school counselors down to the student, you know, down to the teachers, down to the students. So it's like Kevin Bacon, like six steps removed here and just keeping your fingers crossed that it works. Well, I'm even one more step removed because I just sit on the sidelines and complain that you all aren't doing a great job with it. So, Thank you know, you for that, <laughs> of keep, course, keep working up the tree. I That's do- my role. Well, now that I'm not in government, I should do the same thing. <laughs> That's maybe, right. Maybe someone will listen. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, hey, this was a great conversation. Thank you so much for talking to us today. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed the conversation and you want to learn more, please subscribe to the show and also check out my new book. It's called Making College Pay and is available right now on Amazon. Have any comments, questions, or topic suggestions for me? It would be great to hear from you. You can send me a note from my website, bethacres.com, and find me on Twitter at Dr. Beth Thanks for listening and talk to you soon. Yeah.